Well, hello and welcome back to the extras for a new term. I'm Sam. And I'm Jack. It's great to be back with you. It's a, a new day, a new term, a new series in the book yeah. of Matthew, and, uh, which we kicked off uh, last yesterday. Uh, really cool to be uh, yeah in a new part of God's Word. And we do, it's, the series, you've, you've called it Kingdoms Collide, Jack. That's right. Gives Kingdoms a bit of a, Collide. Give us a bit of a, a sense of, of, of what you're thinking with Kingdoms Collide and, and give us a bit of an update in yesterday before we dive into some questions. Sure thing, yeah. So this section of Matthew we're looking at this term, chapters 8 to 11, is really where you start to see some conflict come out in the story of the Gospel. So Jesus is has come along, Matthew's introduced him as the Messiah, and from chapter 8 onwards you start to see all these different powers and authorities and kingdoms in our world that Jesus is butting up against. Mm. So again and again, through this term, we're going to see how Jesus' kingdom is on this collision course with all the other different powers and, and forces out there that are opposing him. Yeah, nice. Last night we made a particular start in uh, in, in chapter 8, and the, the first one of those forces, if you like, that Jesus comes into contact with is sickness. Mm. So we saw how Jesus meets this man with leprosy and cleanses him. He meets this centurion with the sick servant and he heals him. Mm. And then uh, towards the end of that passage, we saw how Matthew wants us to see the, the significance of, of that healing ministry that Jesus had, that ultimately Jesus is saying, yeah, I can heal these physical problems. And that's a, a signal that one day Jesus is going to come and heal our deeper spiritual sicknesses that He's yeah. come to deal with our sin. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I was really struck last night um, by the by the authority of Jesus, the, the, the with a word kind of idea, yeah. kind of echoing the power of God in, in creation and, and, yeah, just being able to speak and stuff happens. Um, so it is with, with Jesus. There's a real um, demonstration of his power and authority, his, God, his godness um, yeah, yeah. in, in that, in that right. um, healing work. Yeah, it's, it, it is stunning. Yeah, authority really is the big word for the next couple of chapters. We're going to keep right. seeing again that enormous power and authority he has excellent yeah well mate i'm, I'm loving it so far looking forward to uh the term ahead uh we've got a bunch of questions and that's our goal here on the extras is to kind of pick up all the extras the, the ones that we didn't get to answer in question time during church um and lots of people send in questions and they're, they're great questions uh lots of them trying to dig into the nuts and bolts of the, the passage and so mm. we'll, we'll try and Make sense of a few of these with you. Um, so let's dive in, mate. Um, the first one comes out of verse 4, um, noting that Jesus, after he heals, the, there's a couple of healings in this passage, but after the first one, he says, see that you don't tell anyone. Yeah. That seems odd. Uh, and the question is, why, why would Jesus want, want the man with leprosy not to tell anyone? Surely you'd want to be out there going, tell them all I'm here. And I'm, That's I'm, right. I'm, what, what's the deal with the silence? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the right question, especially when we're so used to hearing, yeah, like our job in the world is to tell as many people as we can about the power mm. of Jesus. So why would Jesus himself yeah. silence these people? It does it does seem odd to us. It's worth noting this is something that happens again and again in the Gospels. So in Matthew, if you're listening and following along, it'd be good to have your Bible there so you mm. can have a look at some of these verses. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse uh, 16, there's another one of these kind of verses where, you know, again, lots of people are following Jesus, people come and heal him, and he warned them not to tell others about him. Yeah. Again and again, you find this, this, you know, Jesus kind of hushing up the secret almost. Yeah. And it comes to a head, I think, in, in chapter 16, which is the big turning point in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is asking his disciples, you know, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're yeah. the son of God. Chapter 16, verse 20. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Yeah. And to us, I mean, it sounds crazy. I mean, surely our whole life is about telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. Why would Jesus say, don't say anything? What we've got to understand is that this is a, it's a certain point in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has this 
it's sometimes it's called the the messianic secret that Jesus is kind of trying to keep it on the down low if you like that he is the messiah the reason for that becomes a bit clearer when you keep going on in chapter 16 so after uh, Peter says you know you're the Christ Jesus then begins to explain he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and one day be raised to life and chapter 16 verse 22 when Peter hears that he says never Lord you know that'll never happen to you and Peter mm. and Jesus says get behind me Satan you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of men yeah so what Jesus is saying is the the kind of Messiah that people like Peter are expecting is this you know this military king this conqueror mm. so you know now we know his Messiah we can you know, raise the army, like, go storm Jerusalem. You know, Jesus isn't going to die. He's going to be the, the conqueror. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, that's not the kind of Messiah I am. Mm. So the reason that he tells people on the way not to say anything is because he knows that if people kind of get too excited about what he's come to do, they're going to get the wrong idea yeah. and actually make it harder for him to do his ministry of... Yeah, there might be a groundswell that kind of yeah. makes him king by force and then he can't actually die and for the sins that's of the world right. and rise again like he needed to. That's right, yeah. Okay, so keeps it secret. Yeah, that, yeah that's it. All right, that's that's helpful. Um, okay, um, sort of on that same theme, um, after the, the leper's been healed... Um, Jesus then gives him a, a, a kind of instruction to, to go to the priest and to offer the gift that Moses commanded. Now, mm. that seemed odd, like that he's telling um, the the leper to follow the Levitical law. Yeah. Um, surely, you know, we, we've got in our minds that Jesus has come now, that the, the time of the, the law is over and it's the time of the gospel. Mm. Um, yeah. Why, why does he need to go and do the, the mosaic ritual? Yeah, another great question. I, I mean, this... The background here is Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. That's where the, the laws related to leprosy are. And the things that those chapters tell you to do are someone who has leprosy every so often, they're meant to come back to the priest, they're meant to kind of get their skin checked out again. And when people do get cured and cleansed, then there's the this thanksgiving sacrifice, this gift they're meant to offer. And Jesus says here, yeah, go and do that. Go and do what Leviticus 13 and 14 says. And I think, again, it's a, it's a question of you know where we are in the timeline, where we are in salvation history. Because at this point... Jesus has come, and he is bringing this this new kingdom that's going to be thrown open to the Gentiles, where the you know the Old Testament purity laws will, will will pass away because Jesus is the one to fulfill them and you know cleanse people to the heart mm. as a final thing. But at this stage, we're not there yet. You know, Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't you know done away with all of that. And and in a sense, Jesus he, he's not here to to do away with it. So you see that in. A couple of chapters earlier, chapter 5, mm. from verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Mm. So, I mean, it's quite complex, but Jesus is not rocking up and just saying, Yeah, don't worry about Leviticus. You know, that was all, you know, ritual and just, you know, outward religion. That doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, That's the word of God, and mm. it does matter. Mm. And I haven't come to do away with it, but I've come to fulfill it. Mm. And so what we're seeing is Jesus having this respect for the law of Moses. He tells the man with leprosy, yeah, go and do what Moses said, because at the moment, that's what that's what it means for us to live as God's people. You have to listen to the word of God. Mm. He's going to fulfill that later on by dying to cleanse us to the core. But at this stage, he's, he's telling this man, yeah, respect what, what Moses said. Jesus has a great respect for the, yeah. the righteousness the law requires. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and if you want to dig into that a little bit further, we've got an episode on the fulfillment of the law back in the kind of back catalogue of the, right. the extras, if you want to go back. We, we were nice. doing that in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, so you want to dig that out. It's one of the early early ones uh, that we did. You can go back and chase chase that up a little bit further. Um, all right, uh, let's keep shuffling along here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, verse 7, um, 
the NIV 2011 translates that as uh, Jesus said to him, uh, shall I come and heal him? Sort of putting a question to the centurion, do you want yep. me to heal your servant? Mm. Um, someone's texted in and said, look, um, I've got an older version of the NIV and um, it doesn't translate it as a question. It translates it as a statement where Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Yeah. Um, that, they're noting on the question, look, that feels like a little bit of a difference Um Maybe it doesn't make a massive difference to the to the big picture of the passage, but mm. you know, at least translating that verse, it feels different. Can you shed some light, Jack, for us as to why the the difference in translation, why the NIVs updated that in that way? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I love the attention to detail because the details matter, and that, that's a it's a great pickup. Uh, one of the issues is that the you know the the very first manuscripts that we have of the Greek New Testament didn't have any punctuation marks Mm. so the the very first copies there's no full stops there's no quotes there's no question marks and one of the things about um the syntax of greek is that you can have a sentence that you know it could be a question or it could be a statement the same words in the same order could be either way uh it's it's the context that tells you which is which so that's why there's some translations that have gone yeah this is a statement some have gone it's more of a question Mm. And again, the way you work it out is you have to look at the context, work out what's going on. Yes. One of the things that, that comes up in, in this verse is in the in the original language, there is this emphasis on, on the word I. So Jesus is saying, you know, shall I come and heal him? Mm. And the issue seems to be Jesus is talking to a Gentile. He's talking to the, the Roman centurion at this point. And he's someone who's not part of the people of Israel. So it seems like Jesus is saying you know, you want me to come and heal your servant? You know, you know that you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew, you know, we're not meant to mix, like, are you really sure that you want me to come along? Mm. And the centurion seems to reflect that kind of understanding as, you know, he goes on to say, oh, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. So it seems like the fact that Jesus puts that emphasis on, on himself, I think pushes you more towards saying that this one's a question yeah. and not a statement. Mm. But it is, you know, it is one of those things that's a little bit ambiguous. Mm. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it hugely changes the meaning of the passage. Sure. Anyway, either way, Jesus is saying, yeah, look, you know, you, you have a sick servant. Yeah, I want to come and heal him. You yeah. Know, the same kind of thing we saw with the man with leprosy as well. Yeah, nice. And I mean, if you want to read more on that kind of stuff, um, we, we've got some suggested commentaries for the series. Mm. Um, you would have seen them during church yesterday. Um, we, we think it's really good. If you want to dig deeper into some of the syntax and stuff that's going on, um, some of those commentaries are really helpful um, just to get yeah. in there and have a bit of a think about some of these issues if you if you like chasing that kind of stuff up. Totally, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so next one here, um, uh, down to verse 12, mm. um, there's, there's this interesting little statement that, that the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown into darkness. Uh, now, yeah. what, which kingdom is that talking about? Who, who's getting thrown into darkness? What's going on in that section? It's a good question because so far, whenever you've seen the word kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew, it's talking about the the kingdom of heaven. You know, Mm. this is something about God's people. So it sounds quite striking that the subjects of the kingdom are going to be thrown outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you read this chunk as a whole, I think what's going on is the kingdom he's talking about at this point is the the kingdom of Israel. This is a a statement about the Jewish people. Because remember, again, he's talking to Jesus, talking to a Gentile at Mm -hmm. this point. He's Mm -hmm. talking to the Roman centurion. He's amazed by the faith of the centurion. He says, verse 10, you know, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And he says there's going to be more people like the centurion. You know, many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast. He's saying, you know, in the the kingdom of heaven, there are going to be people like the centurion who've come from all over the world, not Mm. just from the kingdom of Israel. Whereas the subjects of the kingdom, 
at this point he's contrasting with his own Jewish people. National Israel. Yeah, they're the ones who are going to be thrown outside. And this is, yeah, I mean, this is quite a a stark statement. You know, the Jewish people, they're the ones who are like, yeah, you know, we're the heirs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to go and recline at the the table in heaven with them at the, you know, Mm. the awesome banquet party time forever. Yes. But Jesus is saying, actually, those are the people who are going to be thrown outside. Yes. And this is this, this theme we're going to see uh, it comes out more and more through this this section of Matthew and, and even onto the end that the Jewish people who are the ones who should have known who Jesus was, they're the ones who yeah. reject him. They're the ones who are going to you know send him to the cross. And he's saying that those who, who don't have the kind of faith of this centurion, they're the ones who are going to miss out, who are going to face the judgment. There's a kind of tragedy here in, yeah. in the story, isn't there? That those who, who, he's their Messiah, the Jewish people's Messiah, and yet they end up um, rejecting him, ending up, they end up outside the kingdom. Um, yeah. And those who were foreigners to the promises that the Gentile people, they end up being inside the kingdom. And so there's a, mm. there's a sort of inversion of, of what should yeah. be, and, it, and it's tragic. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, uh, right. A couple of um, questions now to sort of think through. Um, uh, actually, no, one more in, one more sort of text one um, yeah. in Isaiah, actually. Mm. So, so this passage has a little quote um, in, in verse 17 there from Isaiah 53. Um, going back to that Isaiah 53 passage yeah. it feels like it's talking in the past tense about stuff mm. um, and yet as we understand it it's, it's looking forward to the coming of Jesus why is, why is Isaiah talking in the past tense about something that hasn't happened yet yeah another great question I think in some ways it's, it's a question about what, what the nature of prophecy is if you like so sometimes we, we think that the prophets, pretty much all they were doing was just like telling you what's going to happen far off in the future. And and often that is the case. So you'll read, you know, verses in the prophets where the prophets say, on that day, mm. God will mm-hmm. do such and such. We saw one in Haggai, you know, just not last week, but the Sunday before. God says, you know, on that day, I will shake the heavens and the earth and, and I will make Zerubbabel my signet ring. He's mm-hmm. going to be the king. If you remember that, that's one of these just future tense. God's going to do this in the future. It's not the only way that the prophets talk, though. One of the things about the prophetic books of the Bible is that they are they're books of poetry. They're really vivid, descriptive, poetic ways of describing the work that God's going to do. And in, and in Isaiah 53, he talks about it in the past tense. It's, it's almost like Isaiah is saying, you know, I'm watching this thing unfold. You know, this, this servant has come. He has taken up our pain and suffering. He has been pierced for our transgressions. Yes. It's quite a vivid way of portraying it, almost like Isaiah is there, you know, watching yeah. this, this, this tragedy that's unfolded yes. for the servant. Now like he's seen the movie and he's giving his yeah. kind of re- re- recap of it. I saw this and then this and then this is what happened. That's and, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he's talking about a, a movie that is describing something that hasn't happened yet sure. and will happen 700 years in the future. Yes. But... He's telling it as he's if it has just happened. Yeah, what he's seen. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it does kind of, it ends up sounding a bit weird that, you know, you talk about something that hasn't happened like it already has, but mm. that's kind of the nature of prophecy. He's giving mm. us this vivid depiction of the future, but in a way that just brings yeah. it to life, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay, yep, that, that's helpful. Mm. Okay, uh, last two questions uh, we've got here are both really helpful ones for sort of unpicking some of the application, I guess, of, yeah. of this. Um, one of the really helpful points you made yesterday, Jack, was a, around the idea that um, God, God Himself, will welcome the untouchable, mm. uh, the, the one who, who nobody else will, with the leper, for instance. But, yeah. but anyone, uh, and you put, but then you put the call on us to say, is there, are we in line with God uh, as as God's church? Are we willing to 
um, yeah, welcome those whom perhaps society otherwise wouldn't welcome. Um, and that was a really helpful um, sort of challenge to us. Mm. Someone's sort of um, taken that on board, but also trying to work out, well, how does that fit with other parts of the Bible, say like 2 John, for instance, where the church gets warned um, that there are some people that they, should, that they mustn't welcome, particularly yeah. in that case, people who are sort of um, false teachers, that kind of thing, we're not to uh, take them into our house and welcome them. Why, on the one hand, are we to receive anyone and everyone, but on the other hand, there are certain people we are we're not even to let past our doorstep? Yeah. Again, I love this question because it's someone who's grappling with the whole of the Bible and saying, "Hey, yeah, you've said welcome everyone, but here's a verse that says there's some people you're not meant to welcome." Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. The issue in two John is false teaching. So he's talking about the um, you know people who are in Christ who who continue in the teaching from the Father and the Son. And 2 John verse 10, it's, it's those who don't bring this teaching who you're not to welcome. And verse 11, because anyone who does welcome them shares in this in their wicked work, he mm. says. So the picture you get there is that if you do meet people who are deliberately and willfully distorting the gospel, uh, teaching false things, you know, teaching that Jesus is not God, teaching that he didn't really die and rise from the dead, mm. you know, those kinds of, you know, catastrophic errors that totally distort what the gospel's about. Mm. You don't want to welcome those people. You don't want to have any part in what they're doing because they're out there telling things that aren't true about God, deceiving people, leading people away from God. And that's such a serious thing that, that John says, you know, break fellowship with them. Don't mm. have anything to do with them. Again, that's a word that sounds pretty harsh to us in our world that's really into tolerance and and kind of, you know, unquestioning acceptance. But the word from us of the Bible is there are things that are worth dividing over. Mm. And again, we're going to see that in Matthew. Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword. Mm. He's come to bring division where division is necessary because the truth of the gospel is the thing that's totally at stake. For, for I mean, for everyone else, like the, the broader thing is, yeah, we welcome people who are outsiders, who are... Who, you know, people who aren't false teachers, but people who just haven't heard the gospel yet, people who don't know mm. who Jesus is and what he's done, people who uh, are maybe are the victims of some of those false teachers. You know, everyone else are people who we're called to, to welcome in and bring into the fold. Uh, one of the ways that the Bible, like I think a helpful picture it gives us, is the idea of the sheep and the wolves. Mm. So sometimes, uh, Matthew's going to use this language as well, he sends his disciples out among the wolves. There are people out there who are, who are out to get the sheep, and they're the people who you don't want to have anything to do with. Uh, sometimes the wolves come in sheep's clothing as well. So mm. sometimes it's hard to tell. But the bulk of the people out there are the, are the lost sheep who need to be brought back, who mm. we're called to welcome in, to love, to share Jesus with, that they can become be part of the flock. And sometimes a lost sheep can have all sorts of problems, like yeah. all sorts of wacky ideas about God, and then mm. but ultimately finds their way under the Good Shepherd yeah. um, and, and becomes one of the fold. But that's quite different to someone who's... Uh, already decided in their mind that they are not one of the sheep. They are a, they're a wolf, and they want yeah. they want to attack the sheep. They want to take the sheep away from Jesus. We've got to be very careful of those people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Um, so last one. Um, one of the things that you raised uh, last night, and then we, we addressed it a little bit in the actual live question time mm. um, yesterday, was around um, unanswered prayer for healing. Yeah. Um, which is one of the things that we, we you helpfully applied for us. Um, uh, thinking through someone who might be right in that space, uh, mm. potentially with a with a chronic long term illness, um, whether it's physical or, or mental illness or, or whatever it is, um, how do we, um, you know, in, if someone's in that situation, how, how do we, both as individuals but even bigger picture as the church, how do we love and care for someone in that kind of situation? Yeah, 
thank you for the question. This is something that's so important for us as a church to, to wrestle with and keep thinking about. You might be listening right now and be in that situation. If you are someone who is in that, that's, that, that circumstance in life, you know, you have this long-term struggle and you have prayed for it and God has not done anything, that, that is such a hard place to be. And mm. that's not my lived experience. And, you know, Sam, you were saying before, it's not yours either. Um, yeah, so I, I find it hard speaking into this kind of stuff because I'm not a first-hand experiencer of that. Mm. My heart goes out to those who are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mine too, yeah. Um, I mean, some of the things that I want to say are everyone is different. Uh, you know, it's one thing for me to just tell you, you know, a blanket, here is how to love people in that, in that situation. But really the best thing for, for us to do as a church and for us as individuals within our church is to talk to those people and, and ask them, hey, you know, I know that you've, you've been sick with this thing for a long time. Like, how are you going with that? Like, please talk to me about that. You know, yeah. how, how can I love you? What can I do to support you in that? Some of the things that we've got to keep doing are to keep praying. Yeah. Like I said last night, you know, just because God hasn't answered a prayer for healing yet, it doesn't mean he never will. Mm. So we keep asking, we keep begging him to change this, this circumstance we're going through. I mean, another thing that, that would have come out of last night is, I think for, again, I mean, in that kind of situation, to keep praying and to hear no answer, there, there's there's frustration in that. I think that, you know, someone who's going through that, you know, it, it, it just gets to the point of, you know, it's, it's exhausting. It's You know, mm. why does God just... God could heal this thing in an instant. We know that. And you keep asking him and he doesn't. And that's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. How do you, you know, the frustration, you know, that's something that can make us bitter towards God. I think if you're talking to a friend who's in that circumstance, it can be tempting to to jump in with the, the kind of pat answers and say, oh, well, you know, but we know God does all things for the good of those who love him. So you know, this is good for you. Or you can say things like, oh, you know, like 2 Corinthians 12, you know, God's power is perfected in your weakness. So this is great. You know, God's showing you his power. And, and those things are true, but it's not always the most helpful thing to say. Sometimes, most of the time, what we can do to love people is to, to sit and listen and pray with them and just feel the frustration and the, the bitterness of that. Be with them there in that moment mm. and keep, keep urging people at the end to, yeah, we've got to keep praying, we've got to keep remembering God's goodness, but sometimes the best thing to do is to, to say nothing and just share the pain. Mm. In the book of Job... You know, you see Job wrestling with these kinds of questions and his friends come along. The best things that Job's friend, I'm sorry, the best thing that Job's friends do in the book of Job is the first, you know, in, towards their, I think in the, the end of one of the early chapters, you know, Job's friends rock up and they sit in silence. They don't say anything for a week. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing they do. Then they start giving all this terrible advice about, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you, you're sick because you, you did stupid things. You're, you know, everything they say is unhelpful. The best thing they do is saying nothing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that's the case for us as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I would add to that is, like, I, I'm always, I don't want to go anywhere near trying to say, this is why something's happened, because yeah. I don't have any knowledge on that. Um, exactly. But what, what I do know is what God has said, which is, that, um, and I think this is where you left us last night, which is that um, this world is not all there is. Um, mm. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection points us to um, a, a coming new creation where the, the effects of sin including your long-term chronic illness, yeah. will be done away with in the new heavens and the new earth. And I think sometimes one of the helpful things you can do is just remind people that this, this life is, is at one level really short. Mm. Um, feels long, feels difficult. Yeah. Um, but there is an, another world to come, an eternal world, where all will be right because sin will be dealt with. And you want to point people back to Jesus, keep trusting him, keep walking with him and look forward to that, that new heavens and that new earth. 
Bring it on, hey. Yeah, I reckon. We Come sang on, it, Jesus. We sang it last night. It was great. That yeah. sort of um, last verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. I just think that's great. Yeah. We want to keep our eyes fixed there. So Can't wait. Yeah. Mm. Jack, thank you. That That's it for questions today. Um, but before we wrap up, do you want to um, kind of paint a picture for us next uh, Sunday? We're, we're carrying on in Chapter 8. What, what, what do you got for yeah. us? So we're moving from sickness, that's the, the first kingdom Jesus has collided with. Okay. From sickness, we move into death. Okay. So there's, again, there's, there's three scenes in the next bit of Matthew we're looking at. And the thing that links them all together is, is death. Mm. Jesus speaks to people who, you know, he, this disciple comes and says, Oh, you know, let me, I'll follow you, but just let me bury my, my, my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. He draws yeah. this line in the sand. It's quite radical and says, yeah. there are people in this world who are spiritually dead there are some who aren't. Come follow me. Yeah. He he calms the storm, and we see the disciples in this this panic and fear. You know, in this terrible situation, we're going to die. And Jesus says, "You have little faith. You know, mm. don't you know? Don't you trust me? Don't you know that I care?" And we see the the demon possessed men who Jesus meets, who are living among the tombs. There are people who come from the world of the dead, mm. but Satan has them in their group. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about the whole realm of demons and the spiritual mm. forces of evil that want to grip people into this world of death. Mm. We're going to see what Jesus has done to liberate us from that. Okay. Oh, mate, looking forward to it. Um, so if, you, if you're reading along, let me, let me encourage you to, to read the rest of chapter 8. But, but bigger than that, we, we put out a whole bunch of resources that we um, want you to take hold of and get um, get into working your way through the whole book of Matthew. Um, hopefully you're able to grab one of those um, after church yesterday. Um, otherwise, if you missed that, they're, they're on our website. You can jump on, um, head to the Matthew section in the resources part of our website and um, you can download stuff there and just get in and get reading Matthew um, it's one of the most helpful things you can do to sort of yeah. get, get the most out of this series in, in Matthew's gospel this term so take advantage and uh, yeah other than that I think I think that's all we got today so thanks Jack and Pleasure. Um, yeah we'll see you guys at church on Sunday see you then bye bye